0: We're going through the book of Leviticus. Hey, <laughs> Everybody loves Leviticus. You know, it's starting to be people's favorite, favorite book, actually. I mean, it wasn't until we started this series, but now it's starting to be the favorite book, right? And uh, I don't know how we uh, do this, but somehow or another, uh, they lay out the sermon and We, the pastoral preaching team, teaching team, we end up getting some of these verses, these chapters. And today, mine is the wonderful 18th chapter of Leviticus. It's the dreaded 18th chapter of Leviticus. (laughs) And I want to read it to you. I call it the Dr. Seuss of Sex. Don't have sex here, don't have sex there, don't have it there, don't have it there, don't have it there, don't have it it with them, don't have it with her, don't have it with your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your stepbrother. Just don't do it. (laughs) So, any teenagers in here, if you want to hear a lot about sex, dig in. Here we go. Leviticus 18. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. You must not do as they do in the land of the Canaanites. That's where I'm bringing you to. Do not follow the practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relationships with her. How many knew that was in the Bible? How many every day just been so tempted? (laughs) Please do not raise your hand. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor him. A stepmother or whoever do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with your with the daughter of your father's wife, born to your father. She is your sister. Do not have sexual relation with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do you ever feel like God's maybe trying to close up all the loopholes? <laughs> Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relationship with her. Do not have sexual relationship with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations got to turn over there's still more hold on <laughs> with both a woman or her daughter do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter they are close relatives that's wickedness do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while you're with your living wife as living do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife. Defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal. Now, he's trying to keep the animals safe. Do not have sexual relations with the animals. Defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relationship with it. That is perversion. Do not defile yourself in any of these ways because this is how the nation that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. And even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you. And the land became defiled, and if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as vomited out of the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such person must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came. And do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Chapter 19 starts going into reiterating the Ten Commandments. Like, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Respect your mother and father. Observe the Sabbath, the Lord, uh, the for it's the, Lord, uh, the day of the Lord God. Do not turn to idols and make metal uh, gods for yourself. I am the Lord your God. He goes on and on. He gets over here in verse 9. said, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick the grapes that has fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive do not swear falsely and he goes on, do not gossip be prayer, practice justice and so on. And I'll stop there because I've actually got a lot to cover in a short period of time. I want to talk today about leaving a legacy and uh, I didn't, I don't want to stand and uh, I just want to sit here and talk to you. I don't want to sound like I've arrived that I'm Perfect or perfected. Uh, These are some troubling passages, to say the least. The first half of Leviticus chapters 1 through 16 is about approaching God's presence, about approaching God's presence. The second half is about accepting God's precepts and then acknowledging God's person. And when we begin to acknowledge God's person, God's attributes. What is one of God's favorite attributes to you? Just yell it out. God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food. (laughs) God is God of forgiveness. Justice. God is God of justice. What about love? God is love. All of those are good, but you know, none of those are the one most shared. Are used by God. 42 times in this book, from here to the end, he says, I am the Lord your God. He talks about him being holy. Did you know that the most used word for God is holy? He's a holy God. And this carries over to the New Testament when Jesus, uh, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. In other words, he includes us in this that he's not only Jesus' Father, he's our Father. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's holy be thy name. Holy be thy name. And so, God is saying holy. Jesus is saying that we are to recognize God as holy. Soon after Jesus dies on the cross, he said, I want you to go tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And this spirit that's going to come down, it wasn't called the spirit of love. It wasn't called the spirit of grace. It wasn't called the spirit of mercy or the spirit of forgiveness. It was called the Holy Spirit. See, in the types and shadows of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus, uh, the tabernacle Jesus, everything in the tabernacle is about Jesus. When we get to the temple, we find the temple represents Jesus. When Jesus, John 1:14, he said, Jesus came to tabernacle among us. He was the flesh and blood tabernacle upon him, uh, uh, for us. He later introduced us to the fact that we are going to become the tabernacles or the temple of God. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was able to finally come into our cleansed temples because of what the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the veil was rent, and it said, fire set upon each one of them, just like the fire used to set over the tabernacle and over the temple. All these stories are leading up to something. They're leading up to something powerfully and trying to explain something to us. But one thing, God wants us to be like him. And God is all about holiness. So if we're going to be like God, we're going to be holy. So what is is he talking about? And holy. And why does he want us to get there? God is a distinct God. He's not like everybody else. God is a very distinct God. He's unique. God is separate. We are to be like him. Here's the thing I've noticed in scripture. Throughout all the scriptures. When you can't. Change your environment. You change your environment. And what I mean by that, there comes a time and an age and just moves of God. There comes a time when we rise up and we have the power to change our environment. There's been revivals that changed whole cities, whole states, whole nations. The move of God, the spirit of God changed people. Some of you may remember your grandfather, your grandmother, revival, come to town and change them forever and change your whole destiny, your whole uh, legacy. may have been, been you. The thing is, though, there comes times when times are so evil. There's a thing in every church that I know of, a part of their doctrine is the depravity of man. Have you ever thought about how awful man will become without God? Any nation that ever forgets God, it's only a matter of time before that nation is so intolerable that nobody wants to live there. There's actually states in the United States. I've got probably more people living in my neighborhood from California than anywhere else. And they'll tell you, I don't want to live in California no more. I despise living in California. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. You don't have to worry about my vote in your area. If you're worried about that, the reason I left California is I didn't like some of the practices going on there. And it could be other states. It could be New York. It could be just a bunch of other states. They come in and go, and they're leaving there. I got tired of it. So the rise and the fall of nations become because of the depravity of man. The more it's leaned to, the more it's people, well, let's just let everything go. Let, let everybody be. Let everybody be. Eventually, it becomes intolerable that nobody wants to live there. And we find that the children of Israel had been in Egypt's bondage for 430 years. You know what their constant prayers was? Their constant prayers with God, get me out of here. I can't stand it no more. I'm in slavery. Everybody's having sex with everybody. We have to watch our animals. They're trying to have sex with our animals. Then they get mad, husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. And then they're going out and killing them and there's murder and there's, there's hate and there's rebellion. And it, it's, it's horrible, God. It's horrible. And they cried and they prayed to God, God, please deliver us from this horrible place that we have come to live in. And God rescued his people from Egypt's bondage. And so he, they may have been a time... We know that when Joseph was there, he had an ability to influence his surroundings. Even high leaders, dignitaries. Some of the highest up in Egypt. He became the, right, the, the, the right man to Pharaoh. He had influence. Then there had become a time when God's people had no influence... Another king rose up. Another king that did not regard God or anything about God. And the place become a place that nobody wanted to live. And they cried to be delivered. And we're seeing the same thing in our age and our time. Any people, any nation that forgets God will soon wish they hadn't. And so it's talking about the depravity of man. And it talks about the Ten Commandments and how people break them down. Uh, talks about them in detail. Six times in chapter 18, the Lord will say, don't practice the lifestyles of the unbelieving world. Do you think if that was a commandment back then, it should be a commandment today, that we shouldn't practice the things that the world is a part of? We should be different than the world. We should be unique. When, when you say that you're a child of God, you're a Christian, shouldn't that mean something than other people that are not? Shouldn't there be a difference He said, don't be like the pagans of the world. The Egyptians where you came from or the Canaanites where I'm taking you. Why? Because I'm the Lord. Forty-two times. It's based on the character of God. God has a claim on our life. He said, I'm your God. You're my people. And so now we're going to go into 12 specific examples of incidents of who not to have sexual relations with. Does God really have to go there? Yeah, because the depravity of man has no regard for man, have no care they they don't care uh, about any of that. and what you need to understand is God wants to have every corner of your life from the boardroom to the bedroom. why because you're the temple of God and all of these uh, these little Sins are incest. I know you may know somebody or family member or somebody that's went through the horrors of incest from an uncle, from a grandfather, from a father. And it's unforgettable. And it's so deeply hurt. Where do you go? You normally go to family. What if your family is the one that has brought the abuse upon you. You'll find in scriptures. The, that uh, God is always the one. That's trying to protect the weak. See. When you start looking at this. God. He forbids incest. In any form. The Egyptian culture. Family members married each other. They married each other. That's what they come out of. If they'd never been taught any difference, they thought, well, maybe that's the way we're supposed to do it. Maybe it's right to have sex with your sister, your brother, your uncle, your aunt, your mother, your animals. There's still cultures in the world where this is going on. In Deuteronomy 25, there's one exception to the law, the law of the leverant marriage. That's if your brother and his wife, if... If they the brother died and he did not have no children, then the woman was left as a widow, and a widow was pretty much doomed to poverty. And so the only exception was if they if the woman de- desired it and would allow it, and then if the uh, the the husband's brother would, they would have sexual relationship for the purpose of the woman having. An offspring or a legacy. And this was to happen where she would one day have somebody to help take care of her. It was a uh, kind of a point of mercy or grace. We find this further story further played out in the book of Ruth, where Ruth, her husband, died, and she would have had, you know, she, she would have been a part of the legacy of the land. She would have been taken care of. Her husband died. She didn't have no children. And so. You read in here where it said. Do not eat all of your. You know don't reap all of your stuff. Out of your field. Leave the corners and the back. Parts of it. The corner areas. Leave that for the poor. And the needy. See God is a God. That cares for the poor. He cares for the widows. He cares for the needy. The hurting. He said don't harvest all. Even when you go to pick your grapes, don't pick all the grapes. Go through and pick them, and then as they replenish, as they grow a little bit more, don't go back and pick the grapes a second time. Leave that to people that are in need, people that are hurting, people that need that. Please leave that for them. That's a gracious God, don't you think? And so, Ruth, uh, Boaz, Boaz would have been, and Could be her kinsman redeemer. And so he sees who's that lady out there in the field? And they said that's Ruth. And they told him, you know, the generations. And then he realized that he could, if he desired to, he could uh, go to her and offer to be her kinsman redeemer. What what, would cause her to go from poverty and being poor to overnight being rich and being blessed. And so first he had, he had compassion on her. He said, "Go tell that lady. Go tell Ruth. Go tell her she can have anything in the field. She don't have to just eat the leftovers." I was studying that the other day, and we had, you know, we had the, our funeral on Wednesday, and there was some food we had at home, some leftovers. I mean, likes leftovers. I don't like leftovers too much. Sometimes they're good. But Boaz, Boaz says, no, I don't want her to have the the last leftover part. I won't, go tell her she can have anything in the field, any of it. Then I was thinking the scripture says that Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, he's saying, Jesus Christ saying, I'm not satisfied with you just taking the leftovers. I want you to have any part of the field you want. I own the field, now you own the field. You can have anything that you see in the field. And I think of that as the way Jesus is. Jesus don't want us to have live on the leftovers. And, and so many people, they find themselves in relationship problems and they find themselves with the leftovers. It's not the life that they wanted. It's not the life they dreamed of. It's just kind of the leftovers they find themselves as somebody's one-night stand or somebody that'll live with them for a while until they get tired of them. You know, you're the best thing since the last thing and you'll do until the next thing comes along. But I'm not ready to put a ring on it. I'm not ready to come make a covenant with you. You'll do for now. I think God feels like that. that's not enough respect for a woman. That's not a res- enough respect for a child. God said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to have the best. I don't want you eating the crumbs. I don't want you eating uh, just having to eat what's left over. I want you to have the whole field. I died for you to have it all. I want you to have the best relationships. I want you to have the best. uh, I don't want families to be taken advantage of other families. Me and my wife, we were over youth camps, and we'd have like 300 youth camps, and one of the camps we did was senior camps. And, you know, even Christian people have a little bit of depravity in them, right? You know, we're not all there yet. And uh, so, you know, we know how 16-year-old boys are. You know, they say you are what you think about most of the time. Well, I'm pretty sure when I was 16, I was probably a girl. (laughs) That's about all I thought about, right? (laughs) You are what you think about. But, you know, then I realized then that's the way these 16-year-old boys act. And so at night, you know, we'd just get out of a very spiritual service where God came down and blessed. And then we'd go outside and it would kind of be dark and we'd have refreshment place over there. And then they can mingle. But we found out that it wasn't good. Now, me and David, the camp we went to down in Florida, we'd done everything holy unto the Lord. So what we do is gather in a circle, and we'd be like we're having extra prayer outside in the dark. But inside the circle, they were some of our friends making out. And the, they thought we were so holy. So I realized that, and I realized that night, we need to lay down some rules. And some of the rules need to help young people at 16 years of age, knowing how a and when it's proper to commingle and when it's not and and we tried to teach them that but you know they was something that would rise up in these guys and girls. And so what we did, the girls' cabins were on that side and the guys' cabins was on this side and there was about the size of a football field in between and there was like a track that went around it. So after they got their concessions, we said, okay, we made this line of demarcation and all the girls had to stay on that side and all the guys had to stay on this side and they were not to be together because we would learned things happen in the dark with guys and girls, even at church camp." But you know what the girls would do? The girls got on the side, and they made a, like, 50-girl long line. And they started doing this dance like this over there on the other side. And they started singing, I've got that loving feeling. I've got that loving feeling. And it would just drive the guys mad. Can we go over there? we say, no, you can't go over there. The dean would have to say, hold it, boys. They're just tempting you. They're just, hold it. Well, I can't take it. They said, go take a shower. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes they do Red Rover. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Brandon right over. We realize the devil tempts all kind of people, even church people, even preachers even deacons we're living in a sinful world where if we're not careful we are part of the problem we are part of the bad influence and uh, one of the things God was saying you shall not commit adultery what well, was adultery it was anybody other than your spouse that you had been covenanted to Any. Other was you're not supposed to be with. He was trying to give them a fence of protection around their family because he loved them. He knew where this ends. He knew where corruption ends. He knew where uh, evil ends. He knows what their lot's going to be if they keep going down that road. They may not know. But he knows the family is the core unit of any culture or nation. The family is the core unit to any culture or any nation. The family, if the family is weakened, then the nation is weakened. That's exactly what's happening in America right now. Sexual sin today is fashionable, everybody's doing it. Time Magazine article looked at religious America. 31% of a religious America has or will currently having some sort of sexual affair. 31%. I think it's much higher than that. And the sad part is many do not see anything wrong with it. Well back in the 60s you know I'm a child of the 60s actually 56 but I lived in the 60s. The roaring sexual revolution of the 60's where everybody was doing it and it was peace and love everybody with peace and love and everybody was dying in Vietnam so hey let's eat, drink and be merry because we might die tomorrow free love we've been enlightened with some super drugs we've been enlightened and But is it called enlightenment? It's funny they would call it enlightenment. Today, evil is called enlightenment. Darkness is called, light is called darkness. Darkness is called light. The devil, be eligible, he'll come as an angel of light. He'll come as the truth, but it's a lie. He'll come as a deceiver. And he said, if God doesn't shut down time and doesn't, End it quicker, the very elect, all of us have the possibility of being deceived. That's the seriousness of it. And so in the sexual revolution, love and sex with whoever become fashionable. Stephen Seals sung a song, you know, if you can't have the one you you know, if you can't have the one you love, then love the one you're with. Love the one you're with, love the one you're with. One you're with. Don't that sound loving? what's wrong with that? Just love the one you're with. But actually it leads to fatal attractions. I don't know how many of these 48 hours these detective shows, most of the time somebody's getting killed, it's because somebody had an affair and somebody else didn't like it. The sexual revolution has been around, well... It didn't come in the 60s. It actually started in the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. It's been around, and the spirit of that has been around since the beginning of time, since the fall of Satan. And you say, well, you know, the big thing in the 60s, well, who does it hurt? Who does it hurt? If I ain't hurting nobody, so why not? Well, here's who the Bible says you hurt. First of all, you hurt yourself. One of the ways you, you can be hurt, you can be destroyed physically with sexual transmitted diseases, AIDS virus, chlamydia, syphilis, whole host of sexual transmitted diseases. It will destroy you emotionally. It will destroy you spiritually. It hurts your family, breaks the oneness and the bond with your spouse, causes your children to question, not Question and not trust having bonding problems later in their own life. Hurts people around you. It hurts the church. It hurts your community, the nation. Every disobedient Christian, Christian weakens the church. If one member suffers, all the members suffer, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 26. It hurts the Lord. David and Bathsheba, Psalms 51 and 4. He finally realized what he had done. He said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. God is typically typically the last one considered when people are having an affair. I've done a lot of counseling with people who had an affair, and I you can hear the eyes come out. I was not being respected. My husband was not paying me attention. My wife was not paying I I just wanted to be free. I just, I, I, I. The devil was cast out of heaven for a lot of eyes. I will exalt myself. I, I. Romans uh, 7, the Apostle Paul, uh, as a, you know, he was religious, but he wasn't a Christian. He's 32 times he used the personal pronoun I. I, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I, I need to do, I don't do. I, I, I become very self-centered because seeing an affair is all about you you're not concerned how it's going to affect your children the other family becomes very self-centered that's why God hates it he will forgive you but he hates what it does to your family if there's been incest in your family you might have been a part of it You may have been the victim. You may have been the perpetrator. The good news is God will forgive you. Family members may never, but God will forgive you. And so we see this. And then the next section he gets to, he says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You say, Who is this Moloch guy? Moloch was a pagan deity that was worshipped by a group of people to the east of the people of Israel once they settled in the land of Canaan. A group known as the Ammonites. And the Ammonites worshipped a deity called Moloch. This deity that they worshipped was called the God of Pleasure. Moloch was an iron statue, cast iron, typically between four to six feet tall. It had a hollowed out belly area. And the idea is that you would light the fire in the belly of this cast iron image of Moloch and you would stoke the fire and the fire would get the metal really hot. And when the arms of the image Moloch became incandescent and glowing people in those days would begin to do this chant really, really loud. And the Ammonite people and some of the children of Israel, according to verses in the Old Testament, placed their babies on the red-hot incandescent arms of the God of Moloch and offered them to the God, burning them to death, burning them on the fires of the God of pleasure. And the reason they done those chants and those yells is to keep from hearing the yelling and the cries of the babies. You should all know this, how could they do that? How could they do that? Well, back then, there was this idea among them of the ancient pagan people that babies weren't really humans, weren't fully human, so they were expendable. In order to get blessed and to have pleasure, the babies were burned. It's an interesting practice, you might say, an ancient practice But there's a modern practice that is acceptable in this country to this very day called abortion. Babies aren't burned upon red hot arms of Moloch. But they are burned with saline in the womb of their mothers. To the God of pleasure. I'm not going to let this baby cramp my style. I'm not ready yet. I don't think I can afford it yet. And besides, it's not fully human, expendable. Names have changed, practices have changed, but the effect is largely the same, where this country has, has on its conscience the blood of millions of infants who have been slaughtered. I don't know about you, it makes me want to weep for our country. And I want to say right here, if you've had an abortion if somebody in your family's had an abortion, if you've been a boyfriend or a spouse that encouraged an abortion, i want to tell you that god forgives you. God will forgive you. God will help you deal with your past because he's a loving god. Then if that wasn't controversial enough, i think i'm covering all the controversial stuff. I'm going to leave myself just a few minutes for this other one. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It doesn't say it's an alternative lifestyle. It says you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. This is the Old Testament passage speaking about homosexuality. Something that is hotly debated right now. We're in the midst of it. Now many people will say that homosexuality should not be considered a sin and it should not be considered unnatural. And there are many within so-called churches that agree. See, there are many within so-called churches that agree with that. They say it's not unnatural. Homosexuality is not unnatural, it's only unnatural for you who are heterosexual. But for those with propensities toward the same sex, it's perfectly natural. And they will cite loving, meaningful relationships between same sex couples, which there are some. They will point to heterosexual couples and say, look at your divorce rate. How can you point to us when your own house is dirty? When the heterosexual community, there is abuse and relationships That aren't as loving and aren't as meaningful as we see in our community. Here's here's what you ought to know. It is not a popular thing to talk about this subject for preachers. It will soon be, I believe, will be unlawful for you to even comment on Facebook. On uh, any of the other Instagram. It will be... Maybe be against the law to say something about this in churches. But you know, Paul the Apostle had a very fruitful prison ministry. And maybe some of us will end up there too. Because if it's in the Word of God, I'm going to share it. I just am. As long as I can. I don't want to hurt anybody. There's probably not a person in this building that has not been touched by this. And it could be very close to home. I understand that. There are passages of scripture. They are four groupings. And I'm going to give them to you. In Genesis chapter 19. About Sodom and Gomorrah. Judges chapter 19. About the incident happening. Benjaminite and Gibeon. The second group of passages. Is Leviticus 18. What I'm talking about today. In Leviticus 20. The third set is in Romans 1 where Paul outlines the perversions of the unbelieving world around the time of the Greco-Roman culture and its predecessors. And the fourth group of scriptures is in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you go there, there's a list of sins that God frowns upon and probably if you were to read if I read it out loud today, you'd blush. Why do they have to have these topics in the Bible? Because man... Without God is depraved, and you cannot even imagine what you and your descendants are going to be into if there's not some people send up. A few weeks ago, I was at a family reunion. 52 people there. I probably knew 15 when I got there because families don't get together as much as they used to. And it dawned on me after I was there that I was the oldest family member there. And the weight of that was heavy upon me. Because I was thinking, what's going to become of my family heritage? What is going to be the legacy of our family? What is going to be the legacy of our family? We live in a sick world. Now what you ought to know is those four passages. The passages about being... Are now those passages on homosexuality is being reinterpreted, reconstructed, and dealt with very directly by the gay and lesbian lobby, as well as the homosexual churches, like the Metropolitan Community Church that boasts of 270 congregation in their congregation, uh, in 37 countries, 25,000. Uh, they have 270 congregations in 37 countries, 25 to 35, 30,000 members. And because they want a church experience and believe it's okay, they have to deal with those four passages. So they're literally, you can go online and read these same passages I shared, some of the ones I shared today, and you'll see where they're saying they don't mean that anymore. Because they want to have this experience. I have read what they say about it, how they reconstruct, deconstruct, and misinterpret them. So instead of trying to deal with all that, if you want to know how God feels about the negativity, you need to first see what God says about marriage and a positivity. That's where we're going to begin. In Genesis 2, God created man on this earth and looked at that man and said it's not good for him to be alone. Well, everybody knows man shouldn't be alone. They're messed up. And so God said, I need a, to create a woman. And I'm going to make a helper that is suitable for him. It's an interesting word there, that word suitable. Suitable means I'm going to make something for Adam like opposite of him. It's going to be like opposite of him. I'm going to make a helper like opposite of him. So it says that all the birds, all the animals were created before Adam and they had their like opposite. Not found, And there was not found a suitable helper among all the animals for Adam. So, God had to make a special creation. If you're a woman here today, you're a special creation of God. A woman and brought the woman to the man. And Adam freaked out. He goes, Wow, man, wow, man. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called Woman because she's taken out of a man. He was wowed. And then we find. That God said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So it is so God's original design that the positive, that's positive, God's original design. You should also note that Jesus endorsed and, and what happened in creation when he used the creation, he said, Have you not read in the beginning that God made them male and female? Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate? So rather than dealing with just the negative, you first start with the positive. You see God's original design and His intention. Heterosexual gender was God's divine creation. Heterosexual marriage was God's divine institution. Heterosexual fidelity, one man with one woman for one lifetime, is God's divine intention. So with that in mind, those people in reading this wouldn't scratch their head one day and go, now what does he exactly mean by you shall not lie with a male as with a woman? He says it is an abomination. They, they didn't have to deconstruct, reconstruct, or figure it out because it's plain meaning of the text is plainly to be understood. So the Lord, people said, well, you can't legislate you can't legislate right things. God said, God is saying, this shall be your law. You will legislate righteousness behavior. Somebody needs to stand up and say, I love you, but that's right. I love you, but that's not right. There is a standard, folks. Why is there a standard? It's because God knows where we're all headed Without God. When I was growing up, we used to watch Leave it to Beaver. Any Leave it to Beaver fans out there? If you remember right, the mom and dad slept in separate beds. Then later on, you saw them get in the same bed, but they kind of stayed apart. Now you can see men and women doing whatsoever on your TV, and most of the time it's not with their spouse. And the Bible talks about not only the people that do these things, but the people that think well of those that do these things. Beware. History shows that when a culture that advocates these behaviors, when they go on, that these cultures eventually collapse. People say, do you think God is going to judge America? I think that's way too late. I think judgment has already began in America. think it's already began in america there's a spirit in the world today don't tell me what to do i'm my own being i'm free to live like i ain't hurting nobody but actually they're hurting a lot of people you remember one of the reasons god keeps saying he said i'm your daddy i'm your father i'm your god i purchased you i bought i brought you out of bondage not that you could, I don't want you back in bondage. He said, you are, you shall be holy for I am the Lord your God am holy. He says, you're set apart. You're unique. If your body, it's your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What happens in this temple, worships happens in the temple, your temple, your life, your body is for the purpose of God. Go figure out the best way that you can be, can be done and give your talents and your callings to God. The other Wednesday, at my dad's funeral, a lady come through the line. I never really met her. I mean, I talked to her on the phone. Met her one time in a hall. I gave her a big old hug. And I told her, you cannot understand how much you mean to me. So you say, that's kind of a complete stranger. It's kind of weird, ain't you? We got to understand, this lady, she got out of high school here, and she got her nursing degree. And she went to work for Windridge and had worked there for 40 years. Windridge nursing home. You go, well, what's so big about that? What's so big about that? That lady right there is used of God. Amen. I went down uh, Thursday to kind of settle up anything we owed at Windridge. And I, was, I highly respect Windridge and their people there. They people love God. A lot of them there. And I went in and I was telling them, I said, I just want to tell you, there's a lady here named Joyce. See, my dad always called her Nita because his sister was name Nita. She, You know, they had to wear masks. But her eyeglasses, her hair, her look, she looked just like my Aunt Nita. And so my dad got a thinking, dealing with some dementia and, you know, UTIs and all the things that go along with getting old. My dad would call her Nita. He said, Nita, isn't Thomas, which was her husband, actually lives in Florida, don't you, her, you know, his sister, he said, don't you think, Thomas going to get mad for you being up here all the time taking care of me. And she just went along. And he told her, he said, hey, Nita, I run out of nutty buddies. Could you reckon you could get me some nutty buddies and some nose spray? And so this lady, who my dad don't even have her name right, her name's Joyce, but he called her Nita. She went to the store and got my dad some nutty buddies. When she come through the line I hugged her neck and I told Joyce I feel like I owe you some money because you've taken care of my dad she said you don't owe me no money so Thursday when I was talking to him over at the nursing home and tell him how much I appreciate him and thank him for taking care of my parents I said this lady here named Anita I can't I can't even tell you what she means to our family and the lady over there sitting at the other desk she started crying And she said, uh, I know what you're fixing to say. She said she'd been working here 40 years. And 10 years ago, she did the same thing to my dad. She became my dad's sister for a while. And I've already heard, I think, three people now. So that's a lady that works in the nursing home ministry. That her life is a worship to God. Thinking, wouldn't it be nice if our world loved each other and cared for each other so wonderfully that we, that we could just be this happy family we know we're not going to disrespect we're not going to hurt you you know couples today they wonder can we go to the lake together or when I'm not looking are you going to try to hit on my wife can we go out and play cards together can we trust anybody and folks if you see how detestable this world is it shouldn't surprise us of same-sex relationships because have you seen some of the guys and how disrespectful they are to women and swipe left or you know swipe now it's just you swipe and you meet somebody and you have sex together and it cheapens and they call that relationships in our day and our time see somebody on Facebook you go to one of these websites you meet up you have sex is that all relationships supposed to be one night stand or short lived move on God wants better for all of us Here's the thing I'm most concerned with. Some people said this is just a spoof, it was satire, but this came out just recently. Gay men's choir performed song with the lyrics, we're coming for your children in Los Angeles. The critics of the LGBT movement have long warned that conceding ground on issues such as gay marriage would not stem the lobby's push for more, and a song by the gay choir from San Francisco shows they are correct. San Francisco Gay Men's Choir posted this on YouTube. We're coming for your children. You can look it up for yourself. The song speaks of converting your children. They promote tolerance and expose them to their content. Uh, Here's what the actual lyrics say. I won't read all of it, but I'll read some of it. Here it goes. You think we're sinful. You fight against our right. You say we all lead lives you can't respect, but you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct, the song says and continues. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from the disco, warn them about San Francisco, make them wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. Just like you worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night, and you'll be disgusted when they start learning things online that you kept far from their sight. We'll convert your children, yes we will, reaching one and all. There's really no escaping it, because even Grandma likes RuPaul. RuPaul. Do we find ourselves watching too much TV that is pushing these agendas and we watch and laugh with our children sitting around us while the world's going to hell? Meanwhile, a new report shows that the number of homosexuals and transgender characters in children's programming is growing. There is now 259 characters now identified as LGBT in animated shows. Do you know that they're pushing this agenda in 259, 259 characters that your children, you know when you're like, I don't have time for you, here, watch this video, watch this, watch this, watch this, and you're sitting there watching them, if you're not careful, there's a character on there that's setting them up. The LGBT agenda is also being pushed in family-targeted entertainment. For example, Disney will reboot its show, The Proud Family, to center around two gay dads and their adopted daughter who is a racial activist. Last year, Nickelodeon launched its Trans Youth Age Acting Challenge, which encouraged transgender youth to send in audition tapes for Nickelodeon to watch. The last month, last month 13-year-old transgender Sasha Cohen ...appeared in an episode of Danger. This incident shows the importance of parents guarding their children. I think about God and he understanding the depravity of men. I think about God. He knew that the world was more influencing. So God pulled him out into the wilderness. And he began to give him these saying, please don't go back into this. If you go back in it, you're going to become what you left... It's not a better lifestyle. They've proven people that have monogamous relationships, one man, one woman for the lifetime, they have the most sex. They have a lifetime of they have they have childrens that respect them. They have long life. They have love. But folks, this this stuff is going on, and this is very very hard for me to come and bring this subject because I know I know it's prevalent in our lives and our schools. Your children are being bombarded by this on all of their, the music, the radio. It's the going fashionable thing for girls to be with girls and guys to be with guys. If you don't believe your teenagers are going through the pressure of this, you're wrong, even in Cumberland County. And I'm going to tell you something. Have compassion on your children. Love them. Love them. I don't care what they're going through. Love them because God loves them and I I want you to know uh, I I shared this thing and I I won't go as elaborate but uh, Jonathan Edwards was a preacher back years ago and uh, he lived a life for God and every night they would pray with their children and every single night they would lay hands on each and every child, 11 children I think it was and they would lay hands on their children, the husband and wife would. And they would pray that God's blessing would be upon their children, that God would keep them. From his family, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 75 military officers, 80 public servants, 60 authors, 60 doctors, 30 judges, 100 pastors, 100 lawyers, 3 U.S. senators, and a vice president. Because a godly man decided to fight the enemy Right in his home, and he began to pray for his children and fight. We're not fighting flesh and blood, we're fighting a spiritual enemy. The devil is after you and your kids. But there was a guy by the name of J- Max Jukes. Max Jukes lived in the same area of New York, and they'd done a study of his. This guy was not a good man. He did not pray over his kids. He was, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever I please. Max Jude, his legacy, he had 310 died as paupers, 150 criminals, 7 murderers, 100-plus drunks, and 190 prostitutes. What I'm saying, what do you want your legacy to be? When are some men and women going to rise up and start praying? Oh, don't, don't, don't beat down on your children. Love your children. Pray for your children. Go to prayer for your children. Do spiritual warfare for your children because they're up against the most the nastiest, hurtful, dreadful society we've ever met. We're in the, the, we're in the flow of if we do not stand now, if we do not. And people think, well, I'm going to stand. I'm going to say something nasty about that lifestyle. And that, that is not going to do the job. Your next president is not going to do the job. I don't care who it is. America is right now is not in the need of a president. We're in the need of a move of God where the Holy Spirit of God convicts your children and convicts my children. Where they say, I don't want to be that no more. Not because you've been beating them, but because you love them and you prayed against that spiritual wickedness in high places that's coming after our kids. God help us. Help us, God. And this is dear to me. And you say, well, some of you go, well, if I'd have been a better parent. Don't go there. Don't go there. Most of you have been tried to be the best parent you could at what you knew at the time. My uncle was one of the most godly men I ever knew, Bill Lunsford. He was an Assembly of God minister. That's where we always used to have our family reunion in Op Alabama. And his son went through a horrible relationship, and him his wife divorced, had custody battles over their child. Eventually, he moved from Alabama to Atlanta. Not long after he moved to Atlanta, he moved to San Francisco. We lost touch with him for a long time. One day, he called his dad and said, Dad, I'm going to come and see you. His dad said, Oh, I wish you would. We've been missing you. He came to Up Alabama, he set his mom and dad down, and he said, I wanted to come and talk to you for a few minutes. This was back in the early 70s. He said, I, I, I've been having an alternative lifestyle, a homosexual lifestyle, and he said, I'm, uh, he said, I'm dying of AIDS. And his dad cried over his son, his mom cried over her boy loved on him and said please stay here with us and let us take care of you we'll help you with hospital whatever bills whatever and he said dad I can't ruin your name in this town you're an assembly god minister the word's going to get out this is so detestable right now if I was in the local hospital they would not let me stay there because there's not enough known about it He said, son, please stay here. We'll take care of you right here at home. He said, no, Dad. When I die, the funeral home will not even take my body right now. This was back in the very early stages of this. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, He went back to California, and he died there. But he told his dad, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the lifestyle that I chose. It was not right. I've already asked God to forgive me and I'm asking you and mom to forgive me. I just got down the wrong road. Folks, we're up against a battle in this country. Please take me serious that God, all these don't do this, Don't. it's because he loves you. God is a compassionate God. He's a loving God. And I, I pray that you felt my heart today. I'm not putting anybody down. We've got uh, more than one or two in our family, uh, in our you know, family reunions that are, uh, have chosen a different lifestyle. We pray for them. We've been on vacation with them. We love them. And we're praying that God would remove the blindness and help them find a wonderful, loving relationship. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray today, I've tried to pour my heart out, I hope, in a fair manner, in a loving manner, and God, no matter what road anybody's went down, no matter what lifestyle they're in, no matter what they've done, you are a forgiving God, and your grace will empower them to be able to come to you And God, I pray right now that you would redeem our world. And God, the areas that won't be redeemed, God, that you would lead us out of those particular areas that you'd cause us to change our environment if we can't change our environment. I ask it today in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna tell you something. You go, well, you've preached a very uh, devastating message. No, I'm not. I'm gonna tell you something. The Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God would lift up a standard against it. Where sin doeth abound, grace more abounds. What's fixing to happen, Dennis? The grace of God, the Spirit of God is fixing to take over. And you're going to see a revival. You're going to see your sons and daughters that you're worried about. You're going to see them filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God's not through with this. If God can go rescue all these people, three million people out of uh, Egypt's bondage, don't give up. Don't give up, but place your trust in God Almighty. He can pull down the devil's stronghold. Can you say amen?